Hey everybody, welcome to the Benedettiville Podcast. I got two real important announcements before we get into it. First of all, Benedettiville Live is coming to the Mystic Theater in Petaluma on August 18th. It's a Saturday high noon. It's gonna be amazing, you guys. You can check out and get some tickets at Petaluma.com. That's the name of the comedy festival these are part of. Or at Benedettiville.com. Either one is gonna get you tickets. Oh, the other funny thing that I gotta tell you is that on the radio show last week... Geo forgot to push a button, man. And so half of the radio show, if you were listening to the radio show, you did not even hear anything for about 15 minutes. What a turkey, man. Anyway, he's going to fix that. And uh, for the first time ever, you guys are going to get to hear his new little poem and uh, some of the story stuff that totally got left out. All right. On with the podcast, which is a fixed version of the radio show. Man, that Geo guy, what a... gentlemen welcome to benedettiville this is geo having to fix his mistake when he was live on the radio and forgot to push the magic green button so uh although i'm glad that you guys all tuned in and listened to the uh, very strange background music for about 15 minutes last sunday i'm also very sorry it is a wonderful show we have the beginning of the epic saga of chevrolet glitterwing half fairy we're going to talk about our book club coming up and uh and 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 as i continue my quest to become shell silverstein part two i have a new poem that i wanted to share with everybody today you ready let's get to this poem here it's called no one understands me no one understands me Like just the other day, mom was upstairs working while my little brother played, and I went through the neighborhood just waving around some stakes and opened every front yard latch and every backyard gate, and all the dogs came pouring out. It was marvelous and great, but mom sure didn't think so, and the neighbors were irate, and they didn't care to understand the reasons that I gave that all I ever wanted was to lead a dog parade. No one understands me. Last month, just down the lane... 
We were walking past the airport, and I spied an unlocked chain. So through the fence I scrambled, crossed the tarmac, till I gained the cockpit of a Cessna. It had just flown in from Spain, and the motor was still running. And though I never had been trained, I hit dials, buttons, pedals, till I was headed out again. And then the radio started squawking, Hey, you, what's your name? You're not cleared for takeoff. Cut your engines. Kill the mains. By the time security showed up, my mom had done the same. They sure were mad. Their language tended towards the more profane, and my daring deeds were classified as borderline insane, and no one understood my motivations or my pains that all I ever wanted was to pilot that airplane. No one understands me. Last month, down at the vet, we took our cat to get some shots it hadn't shotted yet, and there I found a creature that I surely had to get, a big and shiny cockroach hiding neath the sofa set. But I didn't have a tank or cage or Tupperware or net, so I put it in my mother's hat, the red one of velvet. The screams and stomping of that afternoon I still regret. My lovely cockroach stomped on by a matronly brunette. To this day, when she sees that hat, she breaks out in a sweat. And she still can't understand me. She's still far too upset to see that all I wanted was to take home a new pet. Yes, no one understands me, no matter how I try. Not my reasons, explanations, not my clear, impassioned cries. Oh, no one understands me. All they'll give me is reproof if they catch me holding feathers as I jump off of the roof. The end. Oh, man. Shell, I hope these make you happy, because they make me happy. Writing poems is fun, you guys. And... When you're uh, recording them by yourself, either on a radio station or in your room, no one can tell you to stop reading your poetry at them. So this is a wonderful privilege I have. But enough from me for the moment. We can't have this radio show without our valuable and wonderful fake sponsors. I mean sponsors. So let's hear a word from our sponsors today. mouth. Mm. Hey, so what you doing there? Oh, I'm just trying to eat some of this delicious soup. I love soup, but it's so hard to eat. Ah, can I see what you got there in your hand, kid? Oh, you mean my soup poker? Sure. Ah, just as I suspected. <gasps> what? What is it? Sir, what you've got there is not a soup poker at all. It's not? No, it's not a soup utensil in any way. It's not? No, this, sir, is a fork. A fork? Yes, sir, a fork. Now, if I, what if I told you, sir, that there have been revelations, revolutions, revelations in the world of eating utensils recently? There have? Why, yes, sir, there have. And it's not all cutting and poking these days, sawing and spearing. No, sir, those days are over. They're done. They're finished. Kaput, a thing of the past. They are? Yes, sir, they are. Now, now we scoop. We do? Oh, my dear sir, we do, we scoop, and we shovel, and we, we spoon! We do? Sir, the utensil's so revolutionary, it's a noun and a verb all in one. It's a soup shovel of your dreams that brings soup to your gullet faster than a short order cook on a racehorse. Yes, sir, what you need here is a spoon! I do? You do! Tell him, gals! You need a spoon. You need a soup scoop and hand by the labor travel tool of a spoon. Spoons!
cousins indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Are you still at home? Are you still trying to use a soup poker? Man, get on board. Check out Spoons. You'll be so happy you did. All right, you guys. Well, a little while ago, while I was out on tour, I started writing a story, and I was sending it home, reading it, and sending it home aloud in installments back to uh, Jenny and the gals. It was, it's always a good way to try and stay in touch if you're away from home. And this particular story happens to be a story about a uh, young half-fairy local investigator. I mean, she would be perfect for the Guardians investigation team, but she's got her own thing going. Her name is Chevrolet Glitterwing. This is her story, and this story is so long that it will be unfolding for us over the next couple of weeks for our uh, Benedettiville Small Town Adventures radio show here. So um, sit back, relax, and welcome to the world of Grimsford. Hello there. Welcome to Grimsford. Grimsford is a small but not too small town. It has all the things a town would be expected to have. A movie theater, good coffee shops, grocery stores, a river, a few bridges, schools, regular to be expected town stuff. But this story is not about that. This is a story more about the less than expected things that the town of Grimsford has. Magic. For example, trolls, fairies, witches, and dragons, and spells, and enchantments of all sorts of other mystical, mysterious happenings. The people that lived in Grimsford didn't know about all this fancy, fantastic stuff. Oh, no, they didn't. Just like I'm sure you might not know where the hill giants live in your town, or which buildings have tunnels that lead to the gnomish kingdoms, and most people are just too busy to find out about these mysteries. However, sometimes your keys go missing. Sometimes things happen that are very unexplainable. Sometimes the mysteries start to sneak into normal humdrum world of everyday town life. Most people will just invent a reason why mysterious things happen. Grown-ups really like to have reasons for things. Also, most grown-ups have a very firm disbelief in anything magical or exciting or wonderful. Children, however, are smarter than that. And when the world of the mysterious and the magical starts to sneak its mysterious and magical way into the everyday humdrum life of children, well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? They notice. And they have questions. These are questions that grown-ups are very terrible at answering. Luckily for the people, or the children, of Grimsford, there was old Gus's junkyard and the office of Chevrolet Glitterwing. This is a story about her and the town of Grimsford, and about how she, an eight-year-old girl who was half-fairy, saved her town, and quite possibly, the world. This is how it starts. It was a blustery spring day in Grimsford. It was warm, but the wind was gusting about every so often through the cloud-puffy sky, and it tousled the very fashionably trimmed hair of little Magnus Tyrolean Brindley, second grader of Grimsford Elementary. Magnus was looking a bit nervous and uncomfortable in the tight-fitting jeans, the faded v-neck t-shirt, and the flannel vintage overshirt that his mother had dressed him in that morning. Magnus actually hated the clothes. If he could, he would wear his gray sweatpants and his long-sleeved Starfighter Academy pajama shirt every day. But his mother was very serious about what he wore. In fact, his mother and father were very serious, period. Magnus was standing in the small clearing towards the back corner of Gus's junkyard. Gus's junkyard was just about as far away from Magnus's house as you could get in the not-too-small town of Grimsford. His house, the Brinley Estate, was a towering mansion on the west side hills overlooking the Grimsford River Valley. 
Gus's junkyard was an east side plot of flat, cluttered, weed-ridden land full of televisions, old cars, windows, toasters, computers, and everything else that Grimm's Fortians had thrown out over the last 40 years. Magnus was facing a small shop counter and window, cleverly built with old car parts, wood bits, signs, and what seemed to be part of a refrigerator, and painted in very cheery and bright colors. The sign that hung over the counter in the window read, Chevrolet Glitterwing, Half Fairy. Toy and doll repair, monster removal, magic mysteries investigated of all types. Below the sign, on the other side of the counter from Magnus, sat a girl. She was writing in a thick book, squinting in concentration through large, round-rimmed glasses. Her brown hair was pulled back into long pigtails, one of which fell over each shoulder as she wrote. She put her pen down and looked up at Magnus. Well, Magnus, she said in a high, musical voice, I think I can help. Magnus gulped. Um, with what part of my problem? Well, it's a case, not a problem, Chevrolet corrected him, and I can help with both parts. First, your Starfighter action bot just needs some glue and a bit of rewiring to fix that broken arm. I should be done with that by Wednesday. Magnus leaned forward. And the other part of my uh, case? Well, I'll need to do a bit more investigating before I'm sure, but it sounds like a pretty ordinary closet clump. They're curious, dumb, and harmless. We should be able to take care of it this afternoon. I'll just go get my things. And Chevrolet started to rummage noisily behind the counter. Wait, did you say we should be able to take care of this? Asked Magnus nervously. Absolutely, said Chevrolet, stepping out of her shop door. She was wearing blue overalls and had pouches and bags and satchels attached all over her with belts and slings. Her shoes were a pair of bright red sneakers. She packed the book of notes from the counter into one of her bags and tucked a huge flashlight into a holster on her leg. I'll need you to show me your room and closet, and I don't know where you live, so we're going. She had walked over to a porcupine-like sprout of wires and pipes and flags and ribbons leaned against the side of one of the junk piles near the storefront. As she rolled it over to Magnus, he could see that it was a bicycle. Let's get going, she said, her toes just barely keeping her balanced atop the strange machine. Magnus felt something start to creep through his eight-year-old, skinny, nervous body. It started at his toes, and it worked itself all the way to the tips of his hair. It was the tingly, sweet combination of happiness, excitement, and magic. Now, most kids feel this every day, but for Magnus, growing up in the isolated, lonely world of the Brinley estate way up on the hill, it was new. And it was the best thing that he'd ever felt. He grabbed his own bike and led his way out of the junkyard through the winding paths of televisions, hockey sticks, telephones, and plumbing, grinning wider than he could ever remember grinning. They pulled onto Nerville Street and headed west. Magnus was in front, and Chevrolet Glitterwing was right behind. She talked happily for the duration of the bike ride, only pausing for traffic, noisy trucks, or to take a sip of water. While we're riding, I can fill you in on just what a closet glump is so you won't have to be so worried, she called into the wind toward Magnus's back. The glumps of Fairyland are a lot like raccoons that we have here. They're small, furry, curious, they come out at night, and they're usually hungry. What do they eat? asked Magnus with a little bit of concern in his voice. Uh, pretty much anything they can find. Have you noticed any of your shoes missing from the closet? Maybe shirts or belts or toys? They especially love chewy bits. They usually go for belts and shoes first, said Chevrolet as they stopped at a busy intersection. Traffic cleared. They pedaled on.
Chevrolet continued, There's all kinds of glumps in Fairyland. They usually cause mischief of some kind or another. My godmother used to have a kitchen glump in her cottage, and it would sneak dishes and eat hand towels, and one time it even snuck off with a whole bowl of sugar berries. I once had a forest glump try and sneak off with my whole picnic basket during a summer trip. That was with my uncle. They snatch and they snack, but they're not dangerous. In fact, I've heard that some fairies and even some dwarves or elves will keep them as pets. They might even have their own language. I'm not sure. They were across the river now and starting the mighty ascent into the hills beyond Grimsford's downtown. The houses and cars were getting fancier, bigger, and further apart. The real question, Magnus, is how a closet glump from Fairyland is getting into your closet. That's the real mystery, right? Is it teleportation? Maybe it has a magic ring? Is your house a fairy house? Oh, I can't wait to find out. And with that, they pedaled up to a massive black iron gate. Statues of gargoyles sat atop the gate towers. Chevrolet gave a low whistle. Kind of spooky, Magnus. This is your house? Yeah, he said as he punched a very complicated looking code into the gate's electronic code box. The gates creaked and swung open. Magnus gave a half-smile and a shrug and pedaled up the long driveway towards the house. The house was less of a house than it was a castle. Great stone towers framed a tall, pointed roof. The windows were narrow and some were of colored glass. There were low roofs that settled over the two sides of the house on the other sides of the towers. Chevrolet thought she could see three floors of rooms on each side. There were several other houses whose much smaller roofs could be seen poking through the dense oak forest that surrounded the main house. Magnus pedaled up the driveway, dropped his bike on the front step, and walked up to the massive, iron-bound wooden front door. He pulled a metal key out of his school backpack that must have weighed five pounds and creakily turned it in the lock. The door opened with a clunk and a low scrape. No one's home right now, Magnus explained as he led Chevrolet through the main hall the ceiling so high that it was barely visible in the dimly lit interior of the house. My mom and dad will probably be working late again. Jasper, our cook, has Tuesdays off. Muggs, our driver, he'll have the car waiting for my parents at the office. And my nanny, Egret, well, hopefully she's sleeping. She lives in the first guest house that we passed. She's supposed to be here to take care of me and make me dinner, but she never does. It's actually worse if she tries. She doesn't have any idea how to cook. Once, she made me a stew with worms and toadstools. No joke. Magnus explained all of this as he wound his way through hallways, up a winding stair, down corridors that were dizzying and very disorienting to Chevrolet. He finally stopped before a single door at the end of a long, richly carpeted hallway. The door was the first thing Chevrolet had seen that made her smile. It was a white, badly painted door covered with posters of the Astrobots and Starfighter Academy. He had pictures that he had drawn, usually of robots, dinosaurs, or spaceships, taped messily all over. In the middle of the door was a big red piece of construction paper on which someone, presumably Magnus, had written in thick black marker, My room! Keep out! Magnus opened the door and Chevrolet followed him through. The room had to have been three times the size of the house that Chevrolet shared with her stepfather Gus at the junkyard. The floor was a two-inch deep collection of model cars, puzzles, robots, Legos, blocks, video games, crayons, and every type of toy that Chevrolet had ever seen or imagined. The room stretched away in front of her towards a huge bed. The walls were lined with shelves that held even more toys and row upon row of comics, magazines, and books. Halfway down the wall, to her right, Chevrolet saw the closet door. Time to get to work, she said and she skipped her way into the room. 
And that's where we'll pause our story for just now. And you know what? Uh, we've got a lot of sponsors on this show that uh, really like to have uh, a little bit of their, you know, they need to get their word out, just like I need to get the word out about the uh, magical happenings up and around Sonoma County and Petaluma. So let's see if we can get a word from our sponsor up in here. I believe you'll recognize these people. Superman. Batman. The X-Men. Wonder Woman. Wolverine.
You guys know who Brian Posehnen is, man. He's got a podcast where he does Dungeons and Dragons with his friends, man. I keep calling him and I say, "Hey, Brian, you got room for a puppet that likes jazz when you're playing your Dungeons and Dragons for that podcast?" And he ain't gonna believe this. He has not yet called me back. Come on, Brian Posehnen, give a puppet a call back, dude. Come on. Anyway. Friday is going to have the Scrob Brothers. That's Scott and Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Todd Glass is going to have a live jazz band at the Big Easy. Did you hear what I just said? Live jazz band at the Big Easy. Guess who's going to be there? You don't have to guess. I'm going to tell you. Blue's going to be there, and it's going to be swinging and hot. I tell you what. Now, I'm coming to the the crux, if you will, kind of the climax of the of the public announcement that I am reading, so buckle your seatbelt or pull over if you get real excited when you hear stuff, all right? Saturday's full lineup will be announced soon, okay? But already, there's including a live taping of the Crab Feed podcast, and brrr, that's my drummer right there, brrr, there's a live show of KPCA's own Benedettiville at the Mystic Theater happening at high noon. The tickets are $10. Did you guys hear that? I can hear the gasps and the cheering from the street. Oh, my goodness. It looks like somebody's throwing a parade out there. I can't believe it. We're going to need the police to intervene, or this is going to shut down all of Petaluma. The jubilation and the celebration that Benedettiville's going to be at the Mystic Theater on August 18th. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. You guys, I'm going to be there. Hopefully, you'll be there, too, and I'll see you there. All right. Well, uh, the festival's going to be sponsored by some Petaluma-based sponsors, like uh, Hotel Petaluma's going to be there, Revive Kombucha's going to be there, and it's going to be raising funds for Petaluma Paints. That's a non-profit. It's dedicated to teaching traditional academic subjects, boring, through a variety of artistic mediums, super cool, including drawing and painting and sculpting and designing textiles and clay and collage and more. And it says and more here, and I'm, I'm assuming that that means jazz appreciation and super swinging and stuff like that, because uh, that's the only way I really learn. Anyway, if you need more information, you can talk to me. My name's Blue. I'm probably the only uh, puppet that you're going to meet with blue hair and a blue soul patch, so I'm easy to spot. And if you can't find me, then you can visit www.petalama.com. All right, I think that's enough information. Now, I've been stalling because Gio wants to sing you guys a song live on the radio, and he's all nervous, and uh, he's been outside just pacing back and forth, and he looks like he's shaking his head at me. No, he's not ready. He's, like, sweating fiercely. Oh, my goodness. If you guys could just see him. But uh, I'm done. I'm going to make him come in and do it, you know, because sometimes you just got to stand up and do the thing what needs doing. So, uh, hey, Gio, get in here, man. I'm done. I'm going to get off the mic. you got to get that guitar, all right? Okay, thanks for tuning in, Benedettiville. This has been Blue with a public service announcement, and here comes Gio with his guitar. Oh, there you go, buddy. Sit down. Oh, thanks, Blue. Wow. He's uh, not very not very candid, or extremely candid, I should say. He's uh, not helping me out there, Blue. I don't want anyone to know I'm nervous. I'm not nervous, everybody. I do this all the time. Hey, you guys have households with, like, uh, siblings? And do you have to share things? Because if you do, that can always be a problem. I know that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it's a problem at our house. And so we have a song about sharing. And it goes like this. 
I had one banana, one delicious ripe banana. Dad, I mentioned that I really love bananas. When who should I meet? One little lonely monkey, one cute and sad-eyed monkey, and he came up to me and said, Gee, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? Did I mention that I really love bananas? Really loves bananas? But I really love bananas. What's this guy gonna do? He's gonna eat my banana only out of one banana? What's this dude, crazy monkey? Oh, we shared, shared, shared the banana. We shared, shared, shared the banana. We shared, shared, shared the banana. He shared that banana with me. And we were happy as we could be. And this other time, I had my favorite toy. One shiny, a favorite new toy. Did I mention that it was my favorite new toy? When, who? Should I see one little baby sister, my bored and sad-looking baby sister, and she came up to me and said, Hey there, mister, do you have anything fun to play with? What are you trying to hide behind your back right there? think I'm trying to hide behind my back right That's my new favorite toy. You think I'm going to just share that little toy? You think that one person is going to play with one toy and get another person on that same place? That's not possible. <laughs> well, you know what we did? We shared, shared, shared the toy. We shared, shared, shared the toy. We shared, shared, shared the toy. She shared that toy with me. And we were happy as we could be. And this other time, I had one hug, one big fuzzy hug. Did I mention that I really love hugs? When, who should I meet? One of my friends who was real gloomy, sad and hopeless, and he looked right to me and he said, Oh, my joy just leaked right through me and I'm having a really bad day. In fact, it's been pretty bad uh, for a little while now. Oh my goodness, he's having a bad day. He's my friend, I should probably do something, but all I've got is this one hug. But wait a minute, I can't even have a hug by myself. Hugs need two people. So we can share a hug. And actually, I have an infinite amount of hugs. We can just, like, I can give these away all day. It'd be great. And so we shared, shared, shared the hug. We shared, shared, shared the hugs. We shared, shared, shared some hugs. We shared that hug with me. And we were happy. Yeah, as happy as we could be. Aw. What a nice little happy ending there. Way to go, sharing guy. Um, so, I mean, that's just a good thing to keep in mind. It ain't easy. I know it's not easy. I'm not a real good sharer myself. Um, but you can, always, uh, you can always give it a shot. You can always try again. You know what I'm saying? Um, you guys remember last week when we talked about the Ben and Jettyville Book Club? You remember the cool theme music we had? What's that? You don't. Maybe I should play it about four times in a row for you. That's a great idea. Did 
did you catch that? Were you aware of what's happening now that we're introducing the Benedettiville Book Club, or should we play it one more time? Oh, man. Okay, now this is like extreme self-control on my part, not just playing that five more times, or really for the duration of the hour until 4 p.m., because I love it. Thanks to Stella and Emmy and our neighbors Leah and Maya for helping with the vocals, and Jenny, of course. Um, we made a change to our book club. We announced last week we were going to read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. That was going to be our chapter book for the book club. And guess what? We switched it on you, and you didn't even know. And we switched it to another Roald Dahl book. We switched it to James and the Giant Peach. Yes, that wonderful classic. So if you want to follow along and if you want to read books with us, which is a good time, or if you just want to pick it up anyway, James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl will be our chapter book. Still reading Cowardly Clyde for the picture book. And, um, hey, you guys remember that story about Chevrolet Glitterwing? Remember how she and Magnus were going to go investigate, like, what in the world is happening in his closet? Uh, I think. I'm not sure. There might be some story music here. You know I can't tell a story without that story music. Let's see if we can get some story music happening here. Oh, you know, there's some story music. Well, um, time to get to work, said Miss Chevrolet Glitterwing, as she skipped her way into She made her way straight for the closet, carving a path through the mess on the floor. She pulled a very fancy and bejeweled magnifying glass out of one of her many satchels and began to peer around with it. Is this where you hear it? she asked, without turning around. Magnus had walked up behind her. Yeah, uh, every night for the last couple nights, I haven't opened the closet door since Sunday night because of that, he said. Man, I don't blame you, giggled Chevrolet. You never know what that sound could be, right? It could be trolls or goblins. I once had to kick a spined Klegoroth out of the Williamson swimming pool. Better safe than sorry, I always say. She put the magnifying glass away and dug through her bag and handed a small pebble to Magnus. Okay, she said, eyeing him seriously through her round glasses. I'm going to open the closet to investigate. If anything weird comes out of the closet, okay? You throw that pebble down on the ground. What what happens then? asked Magnus. Well, then we are sitting in the middle of the worst smell in Fairyland. It's no fun for us, but it will stop a charging hungry Wendigo in its tracks, she replied. Magnus held the pebble tightly in his hand as he watched Chevrolet pull the large flashlight out of her leg holster. She spoke some very strange words, dropped a pinch of what looked like glitter over the flashlight. What are you doing? Magnus asked, absolutely fascinated. Well, this world that we live in here, it's pretty dark in magical energy, and if I'm trying to find magical clues or doors to fairyland with my eyes, it would be like if uh, you were looking for a black hat at night with a pair of sunglasses on, she explained. This way, I have a magical flashlight, and it helps me to see more. I guess that makes sense, Magnus said, not sure if it actually did. Get ready, Chevrolet said, and she squared herself to the closet, got into a low action stance, and, with her flashlight in one hand, threw open the sliding door of the closet with the other. Nothing came bolting out of them. Nothing came snarling out of the darkness behind the rows of shirts and jackets. There were no sounds, no scrapes, no scuffles, no sniffs, no snuffs. 
What they did see were several half-eaten pairs of shoes and what looked like the remains of a belt, and in the corner a pile of half-eaten shirts and coats collected into a big, cozy-looking nest. Ha! See, what did I tell you? Chevrolet called happily, holding up a still slimy half-shoe. Those glumps just love to chew. Ew, said Nana. Well, let's see if we can discover where the little stinker's gone off to, said Chevrolet, and she flipped the big switch on the flashlight. Bright, searing, blue-silver light flecked with sparkles of all colors came bursting out of the device. She shone it over the closet, the chewed shoes, the belts, the shirts, the nest. Wherever the light touched, Magnus, peering over her shoulder, could see small patches glow of bright gold or red or dull yellow. What do the colors mean? He whispered in Chevrolet's ear. Uh, no need to whisper, she said. Magical traces don't last forever in our world here. The older the traces, the darker the glow that we'll see. The bright gold is probably from last night. The reds and faded yellows are a day or two old at the least. Wow, said Magnus, still whispering. Chevrolet was walking into the closet now. It was plenty tall and deep enough to walk into, shining her light all about her as she moved deeper into the racks of clothes. She had just pushed two large winter coats that looked brand new aside when she let out a little yelp of joy. Woohoo! I think we found it! The glump? Asked Magnus from the closet doorway. No, 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 no glumps yet, but I can tell you for sure how it's getting in. Come here, Magnus, take a look at this. Magnus pushed his way through shirts and jackets to stand beside Chevrolet Glitterwing. Her flashlight was trained on a patch up on the back wall of the closet near the corner. There, glowing a bright, dazzling gold, was the outline of a wooden arched door. It wasn't tall, maybe three and a half feet tall, just a hair shorter than Magnus himself. Believe it, Chevrolet crowed, grinning. I've never seen such a huge direct door to Fairyland just sitting around in a closet before. This kind of thing takes years to prepare, and to just leave it up and open like this? Wow! Whoever made it must be one of the ancients, or like a king mage, or maybe even one of the fairy princesses. Oh my goodness! Chevrolet was clearly impressed as she shone the flashlight over every inch of the little door, touching it in spots and studying it with a clear delight. Uh, what do we do now? Magnus asked, interrupting Chevrolet's oohing and aahing. Hmm, good question, she said. It's much too big and powerful for me to close. I'll never be able to close it. I can't tell for sure, but I think it's very old. Much older than your parents or your house, or maybe even the whole town. You can't close it? A very worried Magnus turned towards her. Oh, absolutely not, she said, still smiling and eyeing the glowing door. Well, then what do we do? I can't have a glump eating my shoes and clothes every night. No, 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 of course not, said Chevrolet. We'll have to find another way to discourage uninvited guests. I have a plan, but come on, we have more investigating to do. We'll have to see where the door leads. If it's a gateway to like an orc den or maybe the lair of a swamp dragon or a rock troll cave, well, that would be a whole different ball of yarn. So come on, we got to go check it out. And before Magnus could ask the million questions bouncing through his brain about trolls, orcs, dragons, caves, fairyland, magic doorways, and all the rest of it, Chevrolet was taking him by the hand and leading him through the golden shimmer of the small door that was, apparently, permanently located in the back of his closet, leading him to fairyland and whatever else might await them on the other side. Oh, man. Adventures abound. We're going to take a pause on the story there. You can tell we're taking a pause on the story because, oh, where'd the story music go? Clearly we ain't telling stories anymore because there's no story music. We need to get another word from the sponsors in here before uh, uh, we can move on to the very last part of our story here. 
uh, not the last part of the story, sorry. This story is going to go on for a while, but the last part that we'll read on this fine Sunday here on Benedettiville's Small Town Adventures. So let's see what our sponsors have to say today. Let's see what's going on here. Selma, what you got to tell us? Huh? What's going on with Selma? Some people go to mountains. Some people go to islands. Some people fly around in airports and visit business Boring. Is it a vacation you're looking for? Is it traveling far off distant places and praying? Well, then, don't settle for that. Not just in Twilight, anyway. Come on, someone in a dimensional travel with me. I can set up a trip anywhere. Step through any of our state-of-the-art dimensional portals and teleport to anything you can imagine. Really, anything. This makes me think of the day. The Davis family gets on back from a relaxing week on the banks of the Volcanium Spocking River. The Volcanium River tastes like cold, sparkling lemon. Also, they don't have mosquitoes in the river. They have a clock box, and they taste just like a fine jelly beans, all sweet, tangy, different colors that are perfect. So, and done, Norman. Let me tell you, they signed up for one of our cruises. They chose the sailing seas of life. For two weeks, they've been sailing on an airlock across the light of spectrum. Now, that's a distant universe of only colors, light, and swirling white. I can't tell you what it looks like because in this boring old version of Earth, we don't even have most of the colors you'll see in just one minute on the spectrum airlock. There's a trip out there. It leads to mom. For people who like that, but just want more options. We'll take you in seven days to set different dimensional possibilities of it. There's mammograms on frozen earth. There's the human museum of the earth that was colonized by robots. There's the earth where everyone looks the same. There are two dimensions an earth of massive dragons, an earth of giant worms that live in warmth, and tiny humans that tunnel on the dirt. I'm telling you, forget wrong. Forget Oh, you dear Benedettiville small town adventure listeners. Anybody remember when the family and I all went on our interdimensional uh, vacation? Because that was maybe best vacation ever. I don't know. It's easy for me to say that without uh, Emmy and Stella and Jenny in the room, but it was pretty incredible. Hey, I don't mean to be a party pooper here, but I know that school's coming up for those of you who are going to be going back to school. And I'm not doing this to stress you out. I'm doing this to help prepare because first day of anything can bring a lot of feelings. A lot of anxiety can be pent up in there. And so um, a couple years ago, for the first day of school, I wrote this song. Guess what it's called? Okay, if you guess first day of school, you win. It's called first day of school. And uh, that's what it's about. So um, there's a lot of words. I hope you catch them. If you don't, I hope you just like hearing me sing at you on the radio. I was scared but still excited. I was worried but delighted. I was unprepared but ready. I felt weak but I looked steady. I was clean but still felt messy. 
kind of anxious, kind of sweaty. I was antsy and a flutter like my knees were made of butter. Burning up with feelings while I tried to keep my cool. That's just the way I felt. Thinking about my first day of school. I felt loud, but stay quiet. Outside calm, but inside riot. When I heard that morning bell ring, play my nerves like squeaky bed springs. We were lined up in the hallway. I was feeling mighty small way. We marched to rooms and teachers just a herd of nervous creatures. Then the bell rang loud for recess. I was anxious, I do confess. Hard of jangling to the playground. Thump, 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 bam, pound, pound, pound. Burning up with feelings while I tried to keep my cool. That's just the way I felt on that first day of school. Wouldn't let my scared be showing. I was nervous, but I knowing that if I was such a mess, then so were all these maybe best friends. If I felt that I'd be soothed, if I was only just included, then maybe the thought ignited other kids felt just like I did. So I sat there and I let down all my worries, cares, and put downs. Turned to someone close and smiled, and we laughed and played wild. Burning up with feelings while we acted like some fools. Running around like bandages, forgetting all the rules. We didn't worry about being nervous. I ain't worried about being cool. That's how I met my best friend on my first day of school. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You just let down all the worries, cares, and put downs. Smile at somebody. Everybody's nervous. If you're nervous, everybody's nervous. You're a person. You know how people are. That's my advice, anyway, to myself every day um, and to you on your first day of school. What's that? Chevrolet Glitterwing knocking on the door again? We have one more section of Chevrolet Glitterwing, and then um, and then we'll let you go for the week. So, um, is the popcorn ready? Did you get your, your popcorn in the microwave, I hope? Uh, if you did... Um, I'll give you the address for KPCA Studios. Come on down. Deliver it. Uh, I like butter and salt, please. Oh, man. We can't do any stories unless you hear story music. You got... Oh, oh sorry. There it is. There it is. <coughs> Magnus felt like he was caught in a windstorm. As soon as his body had crossed into the sparkling gold door, his clothes and his hair started whipping about furiously. He couldn't feel any solid ground under his feet. He wasn't sure he was yelling or not because all he could hear was a loud rush of noise. Was it wind? Water? Magic? He had no idea. The only thing that seemed to be solid and secure was the hand that he was holding. Chevrolet's hand. He squeezed as tight as his little hand could squeeze, and a moment later the sound was gone. The wind was no longer pulling at him. It was calm and quiet. In fact, it was quite warm. And were those birds that he was hearing? You can open your eyes if you want, Magnus, said Chevrolet, still holding his hand. We made it, and it's wonderful! Magnus opened his eyes. He gasped. He stammered. He sat down immediately. Chevrolet and Magnus had come through a small wooden door hidden behind some brush in the side of a tremendous, tremendous cliff. The ledge that they were on only extended about ten feet in front of them, beyond which excuse me, was a deep and sudden drop of thousands of feet. The ledge was covered in soft and fragrant grass. It was comfortable to sit on, thought Magnus, as he sat, trying to gather his wits. The bird sounds that he was hearing 
could have been coming from the scattered trees further up the cliff face, or the dense forest that seemed to cover the land below the cliff, or from the shapes that he saw wheeling and twirling in the sky overhead. A ribbon of sparkling water wound through the patches of field and forest and hills that stretched out below him, and there, far in the distance, he could see the afternoon sun gleaming off of what looked like towers made of glass or jewels, maybe? Beyond that were a row of jagged mountains, only faint and faded blues and purples because they were so far away. It was the most amazing thing that Magnus had ever seen. Welcome to Fairyland, Chevrolet said softly. She turned as a small flurry of dust and stones came tumbling down the cliff behind them, and they saw a small furry creature come scurrying down a faint, rugged trail. It dropped down onto the ledge behind them. Ah-ha! Chevrolet called triumphantly. Magnus, I have found your closet clump. Magnus had spun around, still seated at the edge of the rocks and dirt. There, not five feet from him, sat a small, furry creature. It had long, furry, pointed ears, a white stripe of fur that went from its scrawny neck all the way along its belly to its hairy, tufted tail. Its front paws looked strong and sharp, and its back legs seemed perfect for jumping and climbing. Its face looked like a cute, furry combination of a raccoon, a koala, and a dog. The strangest part about it was the fur beneath its snout. It hung down like a big, shaggy mustache. It looked up at Magnus, sniffed the air, and crawled right up to his shoe. The grump was about to take a bite out of the left sneaker, while the surprised Magnus just looked at it, when there was a glitter-like flash over by Chevrolet. She said some words in a language that Magnus surely couldn't understand, extended a finger, and a bright spark arced from her fingertip to the wet snout of the grump, connecting with a bright flash and a loud zap. The grump squeaked and hopped backwards. Chevrolet stepped forward. Shame on you, she said, putting a very serious look on her face and shaking her finger at the glump. No, shoes are not for eating. Here, this is for eating. And she reached into one of her many packs. She pulled out a long strip of leather, surely something she had found in the junkyard, and waved it in front of the glump's nose. It pounced towards the waving leather. She snatched it back. Hey, now, little one, she said sternly. Take it softly and nicely, or no treat for you. The glump cocked its head to the side and looked at her. Chevrolet said something else in a language that sounded slippery and floaty, something Magnus loved but could not understand at all. The grump nodded in response, calmly crawled up to Chevrolet, and daintily took the strip of leather in its front paws. It then crawled to a patch of grass and happily began gnawing away. Chevrolet walked up to it, said some more soft and floaty things, and scratched it behind the ears. It let out a low growl. Magnus scooted away. Oh, don't worry, Chevrolet said, turning towards him. That just means he's happy. It, it's a he, by the way. You can tell by the tuft on the tail and the silly mustache. Is, um, is he friendly? Magnus asked. Sure seems to be, said Chevrolet, as she scratched the happily chewing away glump. But I'm sure there's plenty of mischief in there if you give him half a chance. You know, he's not really scary at all, Magnus remarked, finally standing up on the grassy ledge and coming over to Chevrolet and the glump. He actually seems pretty cute. The glump paused its chewing to lick Magnus's hand with a big, slimy tongue. Chevrolet laughed. See, you guys are good pals. I'd say this case is pretty well solved. Magnus looked up the trail that the glump had come down. He looked up into the jagged rocks and the numerous nooks and crannies and possibly scaring hi scary hiding places in the cliff that loomed over the magic door. But um, what if something else comes through the door? Something that's less cute and friendly, Magnus asked. Ooh, well... I can't close the door, but, ooh, I could set an alarm and a few traps to discourage anyone else from using it, Chevrolet said. But can this little fella still come through? Magnus asked. Now he was fully snuggling up to the happily growling, content little closet glove. Hmm, all depends on how I cast the spell, I guess. 
I can cast it so the three of us can go through whenever we want, but if anyone else tries, it'll be bad news for them. I'll just need a bit of hair from each of us, Chevrolet said, and she snatched a few stray hairs from Magnus's tousled head and a pinch from the tail of the glump. Youch, said Magnus. Went the glump. Oh, don't complain, Chevrolet said as she plucked out a few of her own hairs. I'll need it if we want to be able to get through the gate again. And you do want to go through that gate again, right? Of course I do, Magnus said. And so does this little guy. I think I'm going to call him Sneaker. I mean, he's clearly got a lot of mischief in him, and he clearly loves to eat sneakers, Magnus said. That's a great name, Chevrolet said, as she busied herself with her satchels and pouches and purses and pulled out ingredients and devices and set them up in a very complicated pattern on the grass before the magic door. Soon she had drawn a circle with sparkling glitter. Inside of the circle she had set up a small platform, and the hairs were there, as were many other strange ingredients. She began waving her hands over it in very precise motions and singing in her floaty, wind-like language. Magnus was absolutely fascinated. Before his eyes, a great glow began to shine from Chevrolet's waving hands. She finished her singing with one last high, sweet note and dropped her arms. The collected ingredients on the platform shot into the overhead, shone, sparkled, and in a bright golden flash disappeared. At the same time, the glitter circle she stood in glowed fiercely. It shone so bright that Magnus had to close his eyes. When he opened them, Chevrolet was sitting on the grass. She looked exhausted. The glowings and shining lights were gone. A faint circle of sparkles could still be seen around Chevrolet in the grass, but even as Magnus watched, it faded and disappeared. Wow, she said. That was a big one. What? did you do? asked Magnus, completely mesmerized. I cast a protection warning spell combined with some pretty serious curses. If anyone but the three of us cross this circle, three things will happen. First, an alarm will start ringing in your head and my head. That way we'll know trouble's brewing. The next thing that'll happen, the intruder will get a terrible case of diarrhea. And third, the intruder will become so thirsty they'll have a hard time concentrating on anything but finding something to drink. Breeze Magnus. I am tuckered out, Chevrolet said. I need to get back. I still have dinner to make for Gus and me, and I need to read up on magic doors. Oh. Oh, I guess we do have to go back. Rats, Magnus said, obviously disappointed. Hey, Sneaker can come too, Chevrolet said. Just make sure no one sees him. I'm sure they'd have all sorts of questions, and these things are very hard to explain to grown-ups. Magnus turned to Sneaker. You want to come over tonight, buddy? Chevrolet got up, packed up her strange devices, and everything fitted neatly back into her many pouches. Ready to go? No, said Magnus, but I suppose we should. Come on, Sneaker. He waved goodbye to Fairyland, turned, held onto Chevrolet's hand just as tight as before, and they stepped through the door. When the magical winds and waves had died down and he felt solid ground under his feet, Magnus opened his eyes. He was back in the corner of his closet, behind his rows of new clothes, back in his room in his house in the world that he had thought until that afternoon was the only world that existed. Magnus guided Chevrolet back out of the maze-like house. Well, see you at school tomorrow, Chevrolet said, back on her bike outside the massive front gate of the Brindley estate. Um, thanks for everything? This was the best day I think I've ever had ever. Magnus called out, waving as Chevrolet bicycled off. Chevrolet smiled and waved back and pedaled off down the hill back to the east side of Grimsford and to Gus's junkyard. Magnus walked back to his room, to his magic closet, to his new friend Sneaker. He felt like a brand new person in a brand new world. Magic was everywhere, even in his own bedroom, just as he had expected. Egret, that was his name, you remember, did not fix the dinner. She didn't even come into the main house. 
Magnus had a bag of potato chips and a slice of cold pizza for dinner that he had saved in the small refrigerator by his bed. Sneaker finished off one of the half-eaten sneakers from the closet. The two of them rolled around in the room playing until it was time for bed. His parents still weren't home, so as usual, Magnus put himself to bed. Sneaker curled up under the covers right next to him. Magnus dreamed that night of fantastic and wonderful things, full of sounds and smells and colors, more vivid and lovely than he had ever dreamed before. And that was my keys falling off of a chair. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to continue the saga of Chevrolet Glitterwing and Magnus. You're not even going to believe where this leads. You think that the closet glimpse was all that was going on in that magic closet? No way! Not a chance! Tune in next week to Betadettyville's Small Town Adventures. And, as you know, that music means the show has come to an end. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We're here at kpca.fm, streaming on the net. And uh, we'll be here again next week, 3 to 4 on Sunday. Benedettiville is Geo, Jen, Stella, and Emmeline Benedetti. All the stories and silliness in the episode were co-created by said Benedettiville with the added vocal talents of Leah and Maya. Special thanks always to Rob, Jared, and John down here at PCA. And, you guys, thanks to the wonderful sponsors, Spoons, Selma's Interdimensional Travel Agency, and, of course, the Ash Legion. Um, drop us a line anytime, folks. Mail at Benedettiville.com. And we have a P.O. Box. You can drop us a, a letter, P.O. Box 336 at the Mail Depot. We have a website, benedettiville.com. This radio broadcast will be a podcast in coming days. We'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Take care, you guys. <laughs>